I am recording. recording. I am also recording. I'm recording. I started recording first. (laughs) Okay, you go first. And if you don't say it the right way, I'm going to make you go over and over again until you do it right. Oh, wait. I have to say New York Times bestselling. Yes. Okay. So, wait. I'm saying... Hi, I'm New York Times no, bestselling author. Hi, I'm Clara A. Ortega, the New York Times bestselling author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hi, I'm Clara A. Ortega, the New York Times bestselling author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings. No laughing! <laughs> and I'm Kat Cho, the New York Times bestselling author of the Gumiho duology and Once Upon a K Prom. And this is Write or Die. Yay! <laughs> New York Times was I like I swear I had to force you guys. I had to force Clarabelle to do the intro this way because they refused to acknowledge their accomplishments, which we will go over in this episode because. There's a whole section where we're going to talk about <laughs> living in your joy. And I'm just pre- giving a preview of how hard that can be for some people. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, the thing is, is that like we've recorded so many episodes since you've hit this accomplishment and you've refused to acknowledge it. And it, as your friend, I wouldn't want to shake you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I acknowledge it. Like, I'm really, really super proud of myself about mm-hmm. it. But it feels weird introducing myself. <laughs> like, I don't, like, like if I'm at an event and somebody introduces me, like, that's great, you know? But, like, saying it about myself feels weird. I don't know why. It's, you know, I think it's because it, it's, it doesn't always feel so super real when you achieve a thing you've been working towards for like a really long time yeah that's part of it like i don't know it it, it definitely it feels more real for witchlings than it did for ghost squad because for ghost squad it was like hit the list in my house I'm talking to my plants like <laughs> it was like it felt it felt kind of fake i was actually talking to aiden thomas about that too because when he hit the list it was also like during the pandemic so it kind of felt fake um but with witchlings because i was like out meeting readers and like seeing people and stuff it felt a lot more substantial like they both count the same way obviously but i don't know there was just something extra like spicy in a good way about it but um but yeah, no, I am proud of myself and like I acknowledge it obviously. It's not like I tell people like don't tell anyone. <laughs> Can you imagine? Shh, it's a <laughs> That's not me. Like I'm not like I'm I'm not known for being humble. Um but but I don't know. There's just so I just feel like a dork. <laughs> I, I do think well, I feel like maybe because we were raised in BIPOC households too where it's like other people can brag about you but you can't brag about yourself like you're but you see I don't have a problem bragging about Uh myself usually like (laughs) I you know I mean I love talking about how great I am I don't (laughs) think there's anything wrong with that but there's just something about introducing myself with that like at the beginning of it that but it's weird I don't know why it's factually accurate Uh, yeah it is it is I I, I don't know I, it's fair it's fine like I mean I also do think it's I, I've 
it should be weirder for me. It's literally been like <laughs> a week. <laughs> Listen, we all have our things. What, are, what do you want me to say? <laughs> the, you know what the thing was weird for me was changing my bio. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I should do what? that. Yeah. And like I wanted to hold off on doing it for a while. And people were like, but it'll be what if someone uses this bio? It's wrong now. And I was like, but it's it's weird. <laughs> so I like No, that I don't understand. <laughs> I changed my bio ASAP. I, I just no, I couldn't I, I had to be forced to do it. So, like multiple people had to um tweet at me and text me and message me that I needed to change it. Oh, so we all yeah. have our hangups, nah. Clarabelle. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Um, Yours is weirder than what? mine, though. <laughs> Whatever. It is. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> it's our last episode. What? Crazy. No, it's bananas. It's been a long and winding. Speaking of how far we've come, right? We. Uh, I can't. That's very true. I think that when Ride or Die started, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Ghost Squad wasn't even. Oh yeah, it might have still been didn't even have a title. And uh Ghost yeah, Ghost Squad was still a ghost book and Wicked Fox hadn't come out yet either cuz I went back and listened to old episodes and I listened to my first episode before I was co-host and my book hadn't come out yet. Whoa. It's it's a wild ride. A truly That's, wild ride. That is that is really that is really um it's it's bizarre. It's bizarre because like we it so much has changed. So much has changed, <laughs> like in so many aspects of our lives and our careers. And this podcast has been there through it all, and like recorded those moments. I guess <laughs> it's it's so it's like it's sad that it's ending, but it's also kind of like nothing can last forever, and it was a beautiful part of our careers. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, And I think that it really helped a lot of people. And I'm really proud of what it's done. Mm -hmm. Like, so many people said that, like, this podcast helped them get through, like, querying or sub. And, like, that's really what I wanted. Um, And the whole point. Um, So I just checked. The first episode was, like, around April of... 2018 oh my god so that was a year after ghost squad sold um but certainly before either of us was published um so that's pretty exciting (sighs) but um but yeah i mean i i i i can't express like how grateful i am that people listened to the podcast Mm -hmm. and how fortunate i feel that we've been able to help other writers because like being an author is really difficult um especially being like a marginalized author which was like our focus Mm -hmm. on this podcast um and i think that we helped a lot of people feel less alone we gave a lot of information out as well which is like information is power and like the more information you have the less likely it is for you to get taken advantage of or scammed or like um and there's a lot of that going on in in publishing so being able to help as many people as we did having all the listeners that we did i feel really proud of what writer die has done and you know the episodes are going to be there for future writers and hopefully we inspired other people to maybe you know start their own podcasts or even help people connect with one another yeah and and i definitely want to like emphasize that last part that Clarabelle just said is like we want 
other writers to start their own podcasts like especially if you're a marginalized writer and your voice is underrepresented in this industry in this community like we we definitely I mean maybe don't start a podcast and call it write or die um but like definitely start your own podcast your voice deserves to be heard and and we really really I mean we've gained so much from doing this like it'll be invaluable to you and and there's it's kind of nice to have a space that's like bigger than 280 characters to discuss like the nuances of publishing in um i kind of miss the days of blogs i i I thought blogs Mm -hmm. were so great like they were longer form medium and you know people could have full conversations in the comment section but you know maybe they'll come back but uh, at least for us like podcasting has been a way for us to kind of work through uh all the complications that is publishing yeah and talk about things in a way that's like a lot more conducive to like a healthy conversation mm-hmm. as opposed to conversations that are sometimes driven by like anger or like willful misinterpretation or you know misinterpretation because of like misunderstandings mm-hmm. which is like twitter <laughs> um, yes. um and it's been really good to be able to talk through things and talk with people about things and for us to you know we sometimes disagree yeah. on this podcast and we yeah. talk through things and i think that that's helpful because like having different perspectives on certain things doesn't mean that we have to be enemies with one another um that's what well, you, you know, think i'm not talking about <laughs> I'm not talking about racism here either, because you know there's always going to be people who be like, "Yeah, I don't like, I don't like brown people. Why, why is everyone being racist?" <laughs> That's not what I mean. Um, I mean, I mean like differences of opinions on something that's like not actually like hurting other people. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but um, I've, I, it's been really great to be able to like have those like really tough conversations yeah. in a space that was welcoming of like questions and not knowing Mm -hmm. and that being okay and us talking through it and discussing it and learning and teaching and it's just been really healthy and yeah and I've learned so much from the guests that we've had I mean it's been a master course like a private master course that we then broadcast everywhere (laughs) but like yeah we tricked you guys into giving us your secrets how does it yeah the the long con (laughs) (laughs) but no it's been great um and and we you know whether this is whether you've been with us the whole entire time or this is happens to be the first or one of the first episodes you're listening to we thought it would be really fun to kind of like go down memory lane and share some of the like best pieces of advice or best topics that we've um that we've kind of think we've talked about on this podcast and then also just maybe include some commentary like maybe we our opinion has changed since we did that episode or maybe we like a thousand percent still agree so um we thought it kind of would be a nice trip down memory lane to do with everybody yeah i i love this yeah all right carvel you ready we're gonna try to do it in like some semblance of an order um so i i figure let's start with some craft advice so this first piece of craft advice comes to you from the amazing and incomparable lee bardugo uh you know it's by any means necessary when you're writing a book it doesn't matter how messy or scrambled those early drafts are at all there's nobody nobody writes a good first draft Literally nobody writes a good first draft. And there are writers I know who I respect a great deal who revise as they go. 
Um, and I think that it, it, everybody's process is different. Some people use an outline, some people don't use an outline. Um, I think that everybody relates to their work differently. And one of the toughest things about becoming a working writer is learning what your particular process is. Um, and no process is going to spare you from the pain of writing that book. There's no Okay. Well, I, so, I mean, I just felt like that was a great place to start. Because yeah. it's like some real talk, which we love on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and just the idea that like, it kind of sucks in the beginning, like the drafting yeah. process, but it's also okay. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I love to tell newer authors, like when, whenever there's always that question, like, do you have any advice for like, people who are just starting out and I think someone asked that this at the witchlings launch actually and I'm pretty sure this is the answer that I gave them well part of it was that to take your time with your first book and like don't rush the process mm -hmm. and like I still really feel like that's so relevant because that's the only time when you get to take your time with it like once you get an agent and like once you sell a book like you're never gonna be as like free as you were <laughs> the first time you wrote a book and happy oh, no. <laughs> um it's just like that process like like lee was saying of discovering like what your process is mm -hmm. um and how it's okay to be messy and like i don't know about you but like and maybe some listeners don't know this but like you reach a point some authors do this I, this is what i do like when you are so busy that you do send your editor your first draft yeah i I've, I've had to do that um multiple times now and like the thought of that like i know clarabelle from like 2017 2016 2018 would be like i would never do that <laughs> i would never <laughs> let anybody see my first draft but you have to let go of that like sort of fear of people seeing your messy writing mm -hmm. once you're like a, a like a professional author and you have lots of deadlines and you have a lot of stuff going on you don't have the time to like revise and like wait for people to read like your cps to read your book a million times like no those days for me are done like i i just don't have the time to do it um and so i do sometimes miss the mm -hmm. moments of like being able to take my time with stuff but there's also something really freeing about being like this is what it is let's fix it from here <laughs> yeah no, I agree. I like kind I love the idea that you know you're discovering the story alone and it's like this intimate thing because then once it's out there, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to the readers right. and I think that that's something that we do need to like realize and so there's something special now after the fact. You and it's fair that some people don't know this yet if you haven't published a book yet. Um but right. but you do realize after you know you've put some stories out there and and seen how the public consumes your words that there's something a little bit special about that moment when it only belongs to you and it's worth like finding that joy again um if you can yeah. um because there's so little we can control in this freaking industry so like being able to hold on to that personal and private joy that we get is very very important yeah for sure yeah for sure okay 
So yeah, I agree with everything Lee said. No notes. No notes. Lee is perfect. Okay. Um, let's turn to another perfect person. I'm not a perfect person. Sorry. <laughs> the thing that really set me off trying to, you know, not just sort of bemoan my process, but try to change it was I was swimming in um, a pond near my house mm-hmm. with a bunch of friends. It's like a, it's a big pond. It's a, you know, a, 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 a lake-ish sized pond. <laughs> and it gets cold so that even when it's really hot out, the, it, you know, it's still often quite cold. And um, so I don't care about that. I love to swim. So myself and my friend um, Kelly Link, we, would, we were in there and uh, swimming around. And eventually, you know, your body goes numb. And then, then it's quite enjoyable. Right. Uh, but I watched... Um, my husband and her husband who tried to get in and then got cold and got out and they got in and they got cold and got out and before, you know, they got used to it before their bodies acclimated. And I looked and I thought, that's how I write. I get in, I get uncomfortable and I get out. And if I would just stay in long enough, I would hit the flow state. Like I would hit that thing, but I never do. And I don't know how to make myself. And so that became like the thing I was trying to do. God damn, that triggered me. Oh no. I, I I still do that. <laughs> that is how I write as well. Like right now, that's why it takes me so long to do everything. Because the moment I'm like, ugh, I don't know what to do, I start playing Nintendo. It's it's so hard. And honestly, it's I think it is the reason why so many people who have not yet completed a book haven't completed a book. You know, like that it, it is a hump that you have to get over. Cause there's you have to believe that you can finish it to finish it in some ways but then a lot of people can't believe that until they've done it so it becomes this like vicious never-ending cycle of like half-finished projects so you just have to immerse yourself into the process long enough that like you're just flowing whether it's good words or not yeah let yourself feel that discomfort and I honestly it's funny because I needed to hear that right now (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) um and also like i just remember laughing so much about holly and (laughs) Um, she's like it's a big pond (laughs) like we i think didn't we like tell her like like didn't she say she wished she could just like write at the bottom of the pond or something like that there was something going on (laughs) like we talked talked about the pond quite a lot um but yeah i mean Holly is one of my favorite authors for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, just when you talk to her, she's just so brilliant. And every single time that I've heard Holly speak or I've gotten had the privilege of interviewing her, I've learned something new. Mm-hmm. And like, I just want to be like her when I grow up. Mm-hmm. Like, I just really admire her so much. And like, I just love how she writes. And like, her, one of my favorite young adult series is the curse worker uh-huh. series which i just won't stop talking about. <laughs> like if, if this ever gets adapted into like a tv show up. somebody's HBO. gonna have to sedate me get on because... it it's an hbo show right it's oh it my is. god totally yeah. because it's very uh-huh. dark but that's one of the huge inspirations for my young adult series that i'm currently working mm-hmm. on um and 
I tell people like it's like curse workers meets killing Eve and they're like what's curse workers because <gasps> it's an older series Blasphemy. right and you know a lot of times why it moves so quickly and then it's fine because it gives me a moment to like a chance to indoctrinate <laughs> into my cult where we worship a white cat I'm oh just my kidding. gosh or am no. I um anyway go read white cat by how it is a master class in writing it's so good um, it's so good. And yeah, I, I totally feel like that's such a great, if you, if, if for anybody who writes like that and like stops when they feel uncomfortable, I can guarantee you that just like was, it just hit them right in the chest. Oh yeah. Because that's how I felt. <laughs> like I probably felt like that when she said it, but I especially feel it now because I'm so busy and my little lizard brain won't let me finish things yeah. because when i get uncomfortable i run away and um yeah that is god holly you're just the best she's so i know smart. you're listening yeah, she, holly listens to every episode obviously <laughs> no. holly's a um, she's wearing her ride or die hoodie right I now swear, like if if that's true then i'm honored um I, I didn't get to interview holly that was before i became a co-host so yeah. it is one of my favorite episodes because I do I, I do think that there's so many truth bombs and and I I chose a bunch of snippets from the Holly interview because I never got to discuss it so now I get to <laughs> it's my dream I'm living my dream this episode everyone um, okay <laughs> so the next is another great piece of advice about about getting advice about craft it's advice about getting advice. Okay. Um, but it might not exactly be what you think it is. Whoa. That is my least favorite thing. And most people don't do it. You know, most yeah. people will give you the caveat of this work for me, but every once in a while you'll see the, you must do this or you must do that. And that's just, it's never true for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know what I liked so much about that snippet and the reason why I chose it is because I think that we said it so many times on this podcast. I mean, we say it depends all the flipping time. And it's because advice should never be generalized. It should never be a this is the rule in publishing um, because it's not everything is completely transferable to everyone else's journey, you know? Right. It's, it's, It's so true. It's super duper true. And if anyone, I, I get it that a lot of people do do gain followers by giving advice and being like, how to become a published author, how to become a bestseller, how to get a movie deal. They like, of course, those like keywords and those, you know, clickbait words are like things that will get you attention. But I also just think there's a responsibility too. If you're building your platform based on giving advice to people where you have to like be aware of your audience and like not mislead them. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's really, really important. Like um, telling people that it depends, telling people what what your experience has Mm -hmm. been versus like what's universally true. Um, And obviously, you know. I think for people who lead with, like, this is how I did this, mm-hmm. I think that's great. And I actually think that's, like, sort of the correct way to do it. Um, because if you say this is, especially when you're, like, this is how you can become a rich author, like, all of those <laughs> kinds of videos, like, that's not, it's lies. Um, oh, TikTok yeah. is getting bad about it. 
I need, we need to warn people bad. about author talk. I mean, every every social media platform has its positives. The social part of it, obviously, is the point, like, to find your people in your community. But there's always going to be some individuals who are not using it responsibly. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of misleading stuff on there. And there's people who will, like, not tell you the full story of something. Mm-hmm. Like, I made a video about how a lot of people don't understand that traditionally published authors actually do have control of their work it's a it's a collaborative process Mm -hmm. but like if somebody like you can set edits that you don't agree (laughs) with and you can have a discussion with your editor remember this and this one this one person made like a billion videos in response like it's not true like like my contract was like canceled because i didn't agree with the edits and saying all this stuff and you know obviously I'm like well that's unfortunate I obviously can't account for like every single situation Mm -hmm. but come to find out this person worked for a book packager as an author so the reason why Mm -hmm. her contract got cancelled presumably is because she's not agreeing with edits for something that's not her intellectual property Yeah, which is not what I was discussing that's super different (laughs) and also I remember this person because I also replied to them trying to like give them the benefit of the doubt of like oh you know, maybe you don't understand, like, all the other complications of traditional publishing. Like, I totally get it. That's how I was, too. I didn't understand everything until people taught me. And she, like, went off on my comment, like, about how that's not actually how it happens. And the funny thing is that I did work as an editor at a book packager. I know from the editor's point of view, from the other side why these decisions are made and how they are made like right and the thing is yeah if that's your experience that's okay but like don't just be transparent Mm -hmm. and like truthful about it like she's applying her very different experience with a completely different kind of publishing Mm -hmm. to a traditionally published author who is writing their own story and that's those are two completely different things that's like me trying to apply traditionally published traditional publishing rules quote unquote to self-publishing it's not gonna transfer it's not gonna work um so so yeah so definitely be very careful about the advice you take and like i think that's so true you everything depends and like (laughs) people have asked me questions like can i do this can i do this in my book and i'm like well if you can make it work yeah you can do anything if it works yeah (laughs) it's 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 all based on experience too like the reason why a lot of these like general rules are given out isn't because they isn't necessarily because people want to cage you in at least not if they're giving it in good faith it's mostly Mm -hmm. to be like it's hard for someone to do this well if they're a beginner that's usually the reason why people are saying don't start with waking up right or don't start with you know a dream or you know in, in i there was a long period of time i think it's they're still doing it where they said no prologues in young adult even though like all of my books have prologues um so like it's just it's it's not because you can't do it it's just that it's harder to do it and i think like if you kind of go into it with that mindset then it'll be less limiting when you are getting this these pieces of advice i also do want to say not to like keep harping on the like bad advice on TikTok thing, but the one thing that does get to me is that I think there's a huge difference between giving advice because of your is a good faith like intention and fear mongering. 
And I think that some people do lean towards the fear mongering of being like, did you know that you lose all creative control over your work if you if you let a publisher buy it? Like that's so different than being like, oh, it's it's harder to advocate for yourself because, you know, your publisher has a brand and blah, 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 you know, so that's where I yeah, stand. it's very very true it's very true and I think that in terms of research when when you do research you want to make sure that you're looking at the good and the bad of every kind of publishing because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of sort of like traditional publishing is evil on TikTok right and like that's fine there are tons of the horrible things happening in traditional publishing 100% true but if your research consists of only looking at the bad things that traditional publishing has and nothing else that's not really research that's just like confirmation bias yes um so it's important to look at the good and the bad of any path that you choose because Mm -hmm. everything has flaws and some flaws might be deal breakers for you um but you won't know that unless you're actually looking at the full picture of every single path so i say get as much information as you can really with an open mind um of both the pluses and the minuses and um and then go from there you know Mm -hmm. and 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 good luck and just really yes everything karen said was Correct. She said it like in two seconds, and then we spent like ten minutes dissecting it. <laughs> well, that's because she's brilliant. What do we you love, want me Karen to do? McManus? <laughs> she tried to rescue us from a haunt- haunted Airbnb. Go listen to her episode for that story. We should have. We should have stayed with her. We I should have. That yeah, because then we could have like touched all her stuff. <laughs> we we could have t- touched her stuff and gotten some of that some of that sweet sweet one of us is lying love. <laughs> We didn't need it. We're fine. We're fine. Yeah, but I want to be on the I want to be on the list for for fifty years, bro. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> for Luceli Luna, ghosts are more than just the family business. Shortly before Halloween, Luceli and her best friend Sid cast a spell that accidentally awakens malicious spirits, wreaking havoc throughout Saint Augustine. Together, they must join forces with Sid's witch grandmother Babette and her tubby tabby chunk to fight the haunting head-on and reverse the curse to save the town and Lucelli's firefly spirit before it's too late. With the family dynamics of Coco, an action-packed adventure of Ghostbusters, Clarabel A. Ortega delivers both a thrillingly spooky and delightfully sweet debut novel with Ghost Squad. Order today at buyghostsquad.com. So speaking of, like, trusting your team and having faith in your team, I, I feel like this is a good segue. I don't know. I'm trying to create transitions. I, I, let's just go with it. Um, this one's from Mark. Writing is not as solitary as you think it's going to be. I think the thing that's been the most surprising and is certainly the most positive thing about this is that there is this amazing community of writers, especially, I mean, and you know, here in New York, it's unbelievable how many writers there are. Here. Yeah. And there's such supportive, yeah. amazing people. And that when you are working on your book with an agent or with a publishing house, it's such an amazing collaborative effort. And I think that was part of the reason it was so intimidating all of these years is I thought it was just a very lonely thing and that I would have to do all of this stuff by myself and, 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 it's intimidating. Like even, you know, as far back as the querying process and drafting, it's, you do so much of it by yourself. And the cool, the coolest part of publishing is getting to work with other people to, 
to get a cover design, to figure out marketing stuff, to figure out social media, to, you know, the, the process of being edited, I, I found to be so amazing and, and very different and challenging, but like, you're not in this alone, I think is like probably the most important thing that I wish I could have told myself at a younger age. I'm glad I figured it out now, but like, I love that. Yeah. You're not alone. I mean, obviously, love, you know, love, love Mark. I love Mark. <laughs> I, and I love like the way he speaks. Like he does it in a way that's so accessible and like it invites you in. I guess that's why he's became so, I mean, his platform he built on speaking to people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, and another caveat here right another it depends is that obviously mark is talking about traditional publishing yeah. um mm-hmm. you know it is a different experience with self-publishing or you know do you call do you ever call self-publishing indie publishing um i i think sometimes sometimes i do even though there's some sort of like discussion whether or not that's cor- like correct because some people um say indie publishing is like smaller press okay, yeah like independent mm-hmm. presses and some people consider the independent to be uh, directed towards the author so ah. i think it really depends on the person okay. um but i i think that having the distinction of self-publishing versus indie publishing is important because um for all intents and purposes indie publishing is traditional publishing mm-hmm. but there is a difference between publishing with like a very small press that lets out two books a year versus like Harper Collins as well, right? Agreed. Um, so I think having that distinction is is important, but I th- I think it depends like who you're talking to about yeah. it, and I think it's like sort of a like a contentious oh, thing it is. too. Like people like fight about it a little oh, bit, oops. or at least they did back in the day. <laughs> um, it, no, I think it's fine because it's it's a, it's a fair question. Um. I- I just, I'm not 100% sure what people are referring, um, are using to reference it uh, themselves nowadays. In terms of, like, what I see on TikTok, where there's, like, tons of self-published authors, um, I've seen self-published use. Oh, okay. Because um, I, I, the most. I um, had the opportunity to, like, spend some time with someone who's, whose career started in self-publishing, and they kept on calling it indie publishing. And then I felt bad because I was like confused at first because I thought they meant they were published with an indie press. And like, and I think like, you know, it, it is dependent on, you know, the context and everything like that. I, I For our podcast, we've always said self-publishing for someone who's not yeah. in with a publisher. Yeah, I think that's clearer. Yeah. Um, I just wanted mm-hmm. to ask because I, I was like, oh, have I been wrong this whole time? You know, Um <laughs> Way to go, Kat. I ruined everything. Delete all of Ride or Die. Um, okay, so anyway, to get back to Mark's point where he's talking about being traditionally published, I loved it. I mean, I just felt like it was so hopeful and beautiful and this idea that, like, there's such there's there's such synergy in the coming together of people to make this book and make this story and put it out in the world. And I, I love yeah. that so much. Like, it's it's nice not to be alone doing it <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think that i probably wouldn't have made it as far as i have as quickly as i have relatively speaking without the support systems and sort of like authors who were there before me um 
sort of taking me under their wing yes. and teaching me the ropes, especially authors of color. Like, honestly, I, I wouldn't have survived, I don't think, because there was so much that I went through early on in my career where I felt like giving up. And having them not only there to encourage me to continue, but as resources to, like, not fall into other pitfalls like traps Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and and to know like be prepared for things ahead of time and like do my best and like have all the tools at my disposal to like to succeed i'm forever grateful for to like the writing community and like authors who sort of send you know the elevator back down for for others to also succeed and who look out for each other and support each other and are there because it's hard like it's hard to have bandwidth just for our own stuff, mm-hmm. right? So thinking of how much time and support people gave me from th- knowing how now being a published author, knowing how time consuming it is and like how much of themselves they gave me is like, e- it's even more meaningful to me now. I agree. And I just, I feel like it's so true. I, it's so hard because this this industry is so comparison heavy it's built on comparison Mm -hmm. like the way they pitch our our books our careers everything is based on comparing it to what has worked in the past um so and we've talked about this we talked this to death but i just really don't think you can talk about it enough because it's continuously going to come up it's not going away the industry doing this to us and so i think it's really good for us to just constantly be reminding ourselves that actually we we are we can be and we actually are in this together a rising tide Mm -hmm. lifts all boats all of those fun like little quotes that you want to like print out or stitch on a pillow and put on your wall or whatever like it is really true and it's what's going to get us through all of this in one piece um it's just it's just really important to hold on to these these important like quote-unquote life lessons because I I just feel like it's so easy to lose it yeah for sure I I do think it's really important and it's important to keep reminding yourself of it too it's because just because you learn a lesson once in publishing doesn't mean that you learn it and that's it you're done Mm -hmm. because like that problem is going to continue to sort of come up and it's going to continue to to test you in different ways Mm -hmm. at different points of your career um but yeah, it is it is so important to sort of like find that community and find the people who support you and are are really truly happy for you and champion you and and share information with you. Like I said at the beginning, information is power. And like the more we know about what's happening behind the scenes, the better it is. Yeah. And the for all authors. The great thing is that there are like amazing authors who've been in it for a long time who are continuously like living that truth um and one of them was our guest once um another flawless transition cat um <laughs> i love this i love this positive self i know i'm really it trying here cute. it's our final episode i know i really like it and and you are actually doing a great job thank you so much so <laughs> i'm working so hard here I, re- I want this to be a good a good final episode okay so here's one from one of my hero authors lno one of the reasons why you know, we need diverse books has such a strong mentorship and like, you know, talking to each other and, and, and being more of a community element to it is because I think that being a writer can be so um, 
like lonely, right? It's isolating. Yeah. And yeah. it's it it makes you feel like you're just like here doing throwing things into an abyss and nothing is ever happening. And I think that the that I didn't know at the time that there was a community. But and it took me a while to find that community. But once I did, I did feel like everything became easier. Even though I think it's still hard. But you know, having a sense of community makes the hard easier, right? At least easier yeah. to deal with. For me, it is really like knowing that there is a community and that that community can be a lifesaver. I think that that was something I did not know. And I'm so glad that I found. Oh, I love Ellen. I love Ellen so much. And it's so funny because I picked the one clip where she was like very quiet and like the rest of the episode, she's like, and listen here, because Ellen's like got some fire and which I love about yeah. her. And she's like the protector of and has long been the protector of many, many a marginalized writer to her own, the detriment of her own mental health, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and so she deserves so many accolades. But even with all that she's gone through, she's still a person who continues to drive community building like she's she's involved in this like amazing asian american author initiative that and like pulled me into it and you know is just like continues to create communities everywhere she goes and i think it's just so great that we have people like that in this industry and i think that it's a source of hope for all of us like those moments where you feel lonely or you feel like everyone's fighting on twitter i think it's worth it to step back and like look to the ellen o's and like the heidi heiligs and you know the those types of people in this community that try to create unity yeah i mean it's the 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 community has gone the writing community has gone through like a lot of evolution since like we joined mm-hmm. it um there's been like a lot of ups and downs um and i think that it's unfortunate because like the instinct for a lot of people who have been there from the beginning is to like pull back a lot yeah and i think it's sad because i think that like a lot of people who are starting now won't ever sort of know it the way that we did um when and and you know that can always change mm-hmm that can always uh, flourish again um but there was this like these moments of like intense like bullying and sort of like harassment and just so much stuff that happened that like i understand why people aren't on it as much but um like i said before um without the writing community and specifically people like ellen i don't think that you or i would have had oh no yeah the paths that we did open for us like i'm not saying we wouldn't have been published but i just don't know if how it would have went if we both would have found the success that we did um and had the support that we had without them because it was you know you you have your your friends in real life and your family hopefully that support Mm -hmm. you but they don't 100 percent get it yep Um, And it's important to have those people, too, that don't understand because they will also be able to put things into perspective for you. Because I think sometimes writers think (laughs) things are emergency when they're not and, like, we're really dramatic. And it's important for people to be like, "Um, 
why didn't you take out the trash? I don't give a shit that you got. A <laughs> it's like your house is a mess. <laughs> Clean your house. <laughs> yeah, you still have to uh, shower. Okay. Oh no. Um, 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 but you know, also being able to commiserate with people who understand the pain of rejection yes. and who understand the nuances of the microaggressions that we experience in publishing as marginalized authors and like the the just that period when nobody's sort of cheering for Mm -hmm. you and you're sort of learning to cheer for yourself which is like something i learned from lee Mm -hmm. um which is that that is something that's a skill that you have to develop like being your own best cheerleader because like that's the hard those are the hardest moments Mm -hmm. When you don't have that feedback, when you don't have people praising you and you don't have people giving you all of that energy um, and the energy is just coming from you and like from the words and from the work and but but having that community like you can like you have that support in those moments when you just can't you feel like you can't keep going, you know. Oh, yeah. No, it's so true. I mean, and there's been so many times where it's kind of like. I've just been like sad and I don't know why I'm sad. And then I talk to you or I talk to some of our other friends. And even if we didn't figure out exactly what triggered my sadness, I feel better because I got to talk Mm -hmm. to someone who I know is like truly cares about me as a person outside of my work. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really important. Like, so important uh, when we have episodes and episodes of talking about this like it's great to have critique partners it's great to have people who like are there for your work and like helping you forward your career and that's a very important relationship to have in this community but it's also important to find someone who likes you for you you know and yeah. is your friend outside of your writing and and it doesn't have to be a hundred people it doesn't have to even be a dozen people it can just be one person um yep but it's nice. It's really nice to have to have that one person. Um, yeah, it's hard for us out there, dude. I, so you said another. I can. I'm already anticipating the beautiful transition here. And you, <laughs> you just talked about how it's so much harder for BIPOC marginalized people, and it reminded me of this a beautiful quote by Daniel Jose Older. So, our first episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a question of holding that truth in your mind without letting it sort of overcome you and become the story. Um, I think if you go into it with the goal of being the best writer you can be and then defining your own sense of success and really understanding what that means, um, then the other stuff, the, the how, just becomes a part of that journey to get there, you know? Okay. Um, which doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Like, I, I'm, this is no way to downplay that struggle or that truth. Um, but I think the way I feel about it is that, like, yes, like, if I had been a, a white writer, my journey would have been very different if I'd been writing white character. I'll never forget Matt Johnson tweeted me, um, you know who Matt Johnson is? He's great. He's a great writer. And I yeah. studied with him at Vona. So he read Salsa Nocturna and he tweeted me once, like, this, he finally read it, I guess. And he was like, this book is amazing. If, if you were a white writer, you'd be famous right now. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> So Way to like, be yeah. honest. <laughs> I know. He's, I love him. He's so fucking funny. Um, um, I was dying when he tweeted me that. It's a, it's a, it's a different journey for us. And yeah. like, 
it's fucked up and it's wrong and it's you know made me the writer I am you know what I mean and it's, yeah. it's also made me the person I am so like if that journey made me the person that I needed to be to guide other writers of color forward and to be honest with them about that journey and that's you know going to make the the publishing world and the bookshelf and so the world at large better so be it you know like I accept that journey and if it made me a better writer I accept it too um and again I don't think that makes it okay like I still fight against it every day because to me, like, victory means, like, the writers that come after me don't have to have those same struggles. Right. And that's already become true to some extent. And none of this means we're done fighting, right? Damn. Damn. That, that's actually the very first episode of Writer Die yes, as well. Yes, that was the very Wild. first episode. Um, as, I mean, it's still true now, <laughs> to this day. Yeah, I, I mean, truth. it is. And it's also incredible to hear him say that victory is him opening the door so like other writers won't have it as hard as he has mm-hmm. and he's 150 percent done that yes so that's really cool because like i know for a fact that people like um daniel and zoraida open doors for authors like me mm-hmm. and like even just reading their stories and knowing their stories were there and that i could write about somebody who looked like me and i didn't have to make my characters white the way that i had sort of like been doing up until I realized that I could do something different because that's just what I read my whole life right Mm -hmm. like that's the majority of the books that I grew up with um so um yeah it's uh it's like bittersweet hearing that because it's like we've come a long way but we still have a long way to go yeah like we didn't come this far just to come this far right (laughs) like we still have so far to go and and, you know the thing that I find to be so beautiful too and that I am grateful for all the time is that you know when that episode aired obviously Daniel was like the you know one of the big authors of color to look up to and we were like baby right and we're like Daniel who's like older is on your podcast oh my god like such a huge <laughs> fucking deal right and now there are people who come up to us and they're like i've been listening to you for years and your advice and and i think that you are opening doors for me and we're like what are you talking about no that's not us that's these other people but that's the beauty of it is that like we were inspired by people like zoraida and ellen and and daniel to to open those doors and keep them open and push them a little bit further open, right? And there will be people after us who who push it even further open after us, and that's the point of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's wild to think of that. It's wild to think that, like, we are inspiring other people. Um, it's kind of scary, too, because, so like, we're both dorks. Yeah, like, why? Um, no, no one be like us. What? Stop it. <laughs> Yeah, be be like anybody. Be like literally anyone else but us. Um, um, I'm just kidding. I I think we are doing pretty. We're okay. Yeah, we're okay. Yeah, yeah, we're we're doing. Yeah, we got nice hair. We got we got we got that shine. You know. (laughs) What would you do if the world's biggest K-pop idol asked you to prom? Elena Su and Robbie Choi used to be inseparable until he moved back to South Korea with his family. But before he left, he promised to come back and take Elena to prom. Seven years later, Robbie is part of the biggest K-pop group in the world, and Elena wouldn't be caught dead at prom, which makes it all the more surreal when Robbie shows up on her doorstep to keep that long-ago promise. And now Elena doesn't know what's worse, 
the hate she's getting from Robbie's fans, or the fact that she thinks she's falling for him. From the author of the internationally best-selling Gumiho duology comes Once Upon a K-Prom, a hilarious and heartfelt rom-com that brings the glamour and drama of the K-pop world straight to high school. Okay, do you, okay, so now I'm going to let you choose your path because we could do some more mental health career chat or we could do some craft chat. We could do some business talk. Uh, let's do uh, mental health. Mental for health for 500, Alec. Um, <laughs> sorry. What is happening right now with me? I don't know. You've got you. You're like you've got the sillies. I, I do have the sillies. Okay, okay, okay. This is a good one. This is a good one because I. It's it's something that I hinted at earlier, and okay. I really want you to hear it. Um, hold on. Let me find this clip in my pot cache. If you saw like how I'm doing this, you'd be like, you're insane. Probably. <laughs> how dare. Okay. Alrighty. Okay, so this one is like just, I don't know. I feel like it's something we both need to hear, but specifically you. Okay, here we go. Oh, oh shit, okay. <laughs> um, this is from our interview with the lovely Ayana. I, I'm not good with, I mean, I'm not a math person or numbers person, but I have found myself sort of quantifying things saying, okay, Ayana, you talked about yourself five times this week or just whatever. So you need to talk about other people 10 times. And, um, and I've written posts out where I've been like, I'm so happy about blah, blah, blah. And then I've erased it. Cause I've been like, Nope, someone's going to read that. And it's going to be a problem. Um, oh. which I, I hate, I hate it. And find one time, um, like in the last month or so, Pete, um, called me and he was like, Hey, don't be afraid to sell, like to promote yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're, he's like, you're really generous. I see you. I see you out there. You're trying to uplift people especially authors of color like you are massively supportive of everyone and I really appreciate that about you but also don't be afraid to talk about yourself you wrote this book it's coming out soon you want people to to buy it and don't be afraid of that um because in my bubble I'm like oh my gosh I talk about myself way too much and he's like no you don't you talk about other people um and you uplift a lot of people give yourself some roses was kind of his thing and I was like oh I guess is that a thing? Do I do that? Oh, okay. Damn. <laughs> do you feel called out? Yeah. Because <laughs> good, because you are being called out. <laughs> Welcome to Ride or Die 2, Cat's Revenge. Yeah. The, I, I didn't, I, I, I actually was looking for the clip of you saying that you started this whole entire fucking podcast in order to drag me <laughs> for, for being anxious about being on sub for like three weeks. <laughs> But I was like, why don't I not contribute to dragging myself um, more than an entire fucking podcast? Um, so, but like, I, you know, and I, I get it that what, when Ayana was saying this, she was, ooh, sorry, that was my phone. I do get it that when Ayana was saying this, like, it was coming from a place of her working through her own anxiety of it. Um, but I'm really happy that she shared that story of her agent saying to her, like, you, you, you are doing good for other people. You're allowed to do good for yourself too. Like you don't have to ignore your own accomplishments. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, that, that's definitely something that like, 
I sort of struggle with in 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 certain ways. Like we were talking about before, uh, I'm I I don't have a problem celebrating myself, but I don't ever want it to be like the only thing I'm talking about. If that makes sense. Um, but I mean, and I get that, but I feel like if that's what you're worrying about, if that's what anyone's worrying about, then they're probably not doing that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's just, you know, I, because so much of my career has been about transparency and not even on purpose, just because like I have shared my entire journey with people. Mm -hmm. I never want it to just be a highlight reel. I never want it to just be me. I don't want to be the kind of account that gives other people anxiety about how they're doing Mm -hmm. i don't want it to like represent something that's inauthentic but at the same time like that also leaves you open and very vulnerable and not everybody on social media has your best interest in mind (laughs) and while some people will see that as like wow like i'm doing okay because like here's this author who's doing really well and they're still struggling other people will be like how can i use this against this person Mm -hmm. because i am a sad little potato yeah um and i don't have anything better to do um so it's been hard and like the the result of this has been like just not saying as much online agreed Mm -hmm. right because it's like i just don't know what else i don't want to give so much of myself that i feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um and i don't know how to strike that balance between the two without being disingenuous so i'm just gonna be quieter (laughs) I hate that, but I also get it because I feel the same way. And we, you and I have had private discussions about this, about how we did let ourselves get so steeped in Twitter specifically because that's actually where we, we, we started. That's where we met yeah. each other. That's where we both got our agents. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also where we started building our community and our platforms as, you know, like the beginning of our platforms. It's It's reached far beyond Twitter now, like, please Jesus like I hope that's true but like I I, like it it so I think that when Twitter became a place that was unhealthy for people to be for myself at least I didn't see it for longer than maybe like was healthy because I was so stuck on the idea that it gave me so much of what I have today and I didn't want to leave it I didn't want to abandon this platform that had given me so much and I also had like I, I don't want to say it's naive like I think I still think it I, I always like to believe that things can get better um, and if I can't believe that then like I'll just sink into too deep of a depression so I have to keep believing that that it can get better yeah, but for sure but at least for now for the short term it's not great for our mental health so like I've also stepped back like it, it became a place where like it wasn't just about discussing the issues anymore it was about catching someone making a mistake um, and that felt weird. It's like, you're mm-hmm. not supposed to want people to make a mistake. And that was the yeah. disconnect for me. It's like, yes, it's good to spread the word about this was a mistake that we keep making in the industry. Let's stop making it and having that discussion. But you're not supposed to want people to fuck up so that you can catch them. Right. You know? No, uh, yeah. People definitely were waiting for others to mess up. It was, like, very, very obvious. Yeah, I mean, to the point where people were literally saying, I can't, I love catching people messing up. Like, I just, I, I know they're going to do it one day, and I love catching them. It's just like, what? 
this is how you build your relationships i'm so confused um it's just so tiring it it feels like tiring to constantly like expect everyone around you to mess up um it's not it's not actually helping you in any way either because like sure you might get like a temporary sort of feeling of power Mm -hmm. but you're not actually advancing your life in any way um so um, yeah so yeah i mean i'm i think that's like we kind of like deviated from the original point i don't want to keep talking about twitter till the cows oh yeah sorry but um um, no it's okay um but yeah it's um it's it's a hard balance i don't know it is um there's there's a certain there are a lot of things that come with doing well in a career Mm -hmm. and one of them is how people begin to perceive you and treat you differently Mm -hmm. and the worry that sort of comes from that because of how you've heard people talk about successful people in the past i mean yeah it's like am i one of am i that target now am i sort of like annoying because the only thing i post about is a, B, and C, or because you know I'm have too many of too much too much of this, too much of that. Um, I mean, and it's hard. Listen, know? there's a we've talked about this too. Is that there is a greater responsibility the more successful you get, and we you can't ignore that, but you mm-hmm. can protect your space because the more the more visible you are, the more public you are, the more different like directions your energy is being pulled in and it's 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 just a lot and and you know even though you had so much time to give everyone around you personalized attention like two years ago that's because there were 12 of them and now there's 200 and so you do have a right to cultivate your own space and your privacy and your alone time you know and and i get that and i totally agree with it um this is actually perfect transition i'm not even forcing it this time this is a really good quote that i <laughs> i really want to share it because i think it's i think it's hard people don't feel comfortable talking about it all the time so i feel so lucky that victoria aviard came onto our podcast and did feel comfortable enough saying this because i think it's important for everyone to hear right and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before the podcast started of this idea of false familiarity Mm -hmm. that we have um and sometimes you go to conventions and you will have a couple of people who are colleagues who have become your real friends and you're like oh I only see you like once or twice a year let's hang out let's have dinner and then there's this um like stigma if you kind of close off and want to be on your own or be with the one or two people you do know and trust versus putting yourself in a crowd situation after you've been in a crowd situation all day long and kind mm-hmm. of a performance on people don't kind of I don't know I get the excitement and I get wanting to get involved and wanting to meet people but at the same time I'm not entitled to your time and your energy and you're not entitled to mine yeah that that is <laughs> that is so so it's it's a lot that's so that's it's so true and it's so hard to say out loud because like I think people immediately jump to like you're a snob worse yeah yeah Yeah, basically and it's and and the thing is is that like there there was a period of time and we were both still very new where a conversation had been started about like popular cliques 
in publishing, which the popular click discussion actually is cyclical. It comes around every once in a while. But I very mm-hmm. distinctly remember it happening when we were really, really starting to get into the community because um, the conversation started because of like these best bestsellers who all happened to be white and were all really close friends. And then for some reason, it went on a tangent and it targeted successful BIPOC authors and like was so much more vicious against them. And it felt, it felt, it felt, you know, you know, uh, how do I say racist without saying racist? It felt racist. (laughs) You You can say it. The thing is, is, and some people are going to say, oh, well, that's because the white, you know, bestselling authors are like huge, 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 huge names on billboards and, and the authors of color aren't as big. So why are they acting like they're as big? And it's like, you got to break that down, man. The reason those white authors are such bigger bestsellers is not because they're they're telling better stories. It's because this industry is only putting support behind white authors. That's why they have yeah. that success. It doesn't mean they're better. And the BIPOC authors still deserve their safe spaces. They still deserve their friend groups where they feel comfortable, you know? Sorry, I'm like, I'm very emotional about this. <laughs> no, it's fine. I think it's really important to talk about, though, because a lot of times I see just one side of the conversation. Um, which is just like I understand it it's coming from the side of people who feel sort of like left out yeah but like take you like you and me like for example like we met around this we were at similar points in our career when we Mm -hmm. met we sort of went through a lot of things together which brought us really close and first of all there's only so much bad bandwidth that a person has for like friendships and like I can't be friends with every single person who I am acquainted with in publishing. Mm-hmm. It's literally impossible because it's too many people, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, it's cool to, like, be acquaintances and be friendly and, and be cool. We're, for all intents and purposes, sort of colleagues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I think that the line gets blurred a lot in publishing between, like, business and, like, friendship and personal. Mm -hmm. And I think that that happens in a lot of instances. And it's always a mistake when you don't treat it like a business first. (laughs) Yes. Because your feelings are going to get hurt no matter what. Whether it's treating your agent like they're your best friend or your editor like they're your best friend. Um, I don't want to say they don't care about you. They do. But they work for a corporation. Yeah. And the corporation is not really catering to your feelings. They're <laughs> working with you as an individual, as someone who produces a product for them. Yes. And not that you have to see other authors in a transactional way like that, but you also cannot expect friendship from every author that you meet mm-hmm. um, because it's just unrealistic. And it's like going to college or going to school and expecting everyone in your grade to be your best friend because they're in your grade. <laughs> That's not how it works, right? You you find a group of people that you get along with and you hang out with them. And I think sometimes people don't say the thing that is what's at the root of it, which is I really wish I could be friends with these people because I think they're really cool. And there's something really human and like earnest and like nice about that mm-hmm. sentiment. But that quickly morphs into these people are a click because... I can't be friends with them and I hate them now. (laughs) That's my conclusion. And it's like, 
we can't act like that. No. We can't we can't be immature like that. Like there <laughs> there's always these conversations on Twitter about people sort of stopping their friendships or like not talking to people anymore because they're too successful now, quote unquote, whatever. And I'm sure that there are moments when that happens. But I think also the the inverse of that is never talked about, which is that, like I said before, people do start treating you differently when, when you reach any sort of success. Mm-hmm. And, like, sometimes f- there are parasocial relationships between authors as well, mm-hmm. where, like, you come into publishing and you have been a fan of an author or, yep. like, their books for a while, mm-hmm. and now because you're on the same sort of like playing field in terms of like your career you expect them to let you into their inner circle and that's still not how it works yeah like yes you have something in common now your colleagues maybe one day you will be friends but they don't owe you that friendship Mm -hmm. um and to be mad at somebody for not wanting to reciprocate feelings of like you know wanting to be friends is kind of scary to me (laughs) um and like sometimes people are annoying oh my god (laughs) okay you went there i'm I'm sorry but it's always it's always these people drop me or stop following me because they're bad friends and i'm like sometimes you are an asshole too yeah okay like i'm sorry but sometimes it's not always but that's sometimes an excuse for bad behavior yeah um and I think that there's there are two sides to the story. Yeah, sometimes people might think they're too good to be friends with you. I'm sure that happens sometimes. But sometimes it's about you expecting things from people or you not being a good friend mm-hmm. or making mistakes and not wanting to take responsibility for your actions and then blaming it on someone thinking they're too good for you. Yeah. So sometimes people just get fed up, fed up with your behavior. Yeah. Friendships change and evolve and break up all the time. It's just that because we are in an industry where like there's a there's an audience for our relationships with each other, we feel like we need to like be like, well, the reason why I don't talk to so and so anymore is because they got this big book deal and now they don't talk to me. It's like you don't have to justify it. Like you don't have to explain. You don't. Also, you even if you are were the annoying one, you also don't have to tell people why someone's not your friend anymore. You could just keep that right. personal in the private DMs between you and your ex friend. You know, like yeah. it really bothers me when people air out what is a private personal matter as if it's like, as if it's a professional issue. You know, it's like just because you used to yeah. be best friends and you're, you you both happen to be authors and you both happen to do like a panel together once talking about how you were best friends doesn't mean that now that you're not friends anymore, it should affect either of your professional careers. Well, yeah, it's like it's very immature. It's like because I'm not friends with somebody anymore, or I'm mad at them. I want everyone to be mad at them as well. Yes. I want you to pick me in the in the divorce <laughs> that I'm imagining in my yeah, head. Yeah, ha- you get half of Twitter. Um, you get this half of Twitter, and I get this half of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's just kind of ridiculous. And like we've seen various times where like personal issues have played out in a public uh-huh. way and been made to seem as if it's this huge problem and conspiracy Mm -hmm. um 
or bullying or whatever yep. when in reality it was just two groups of people who didn't get along with each yeah, other they just don't and like we're each trying other. to one up who are trying to one up each other and become sort of like the victors in their mind mm-hmm. um and did and said whatever they needed to to get everybody on their side yep. and that happens a lot like we're making the book community seem really scary but this is a reality like this is no, this is life watch happen. this is not just book community this yeah. is all of life this happens in yeah. in my sister's industry it happens in my like cousin's industry it happens everywhere so like the yeah. only reason why everyone is like oh YA publishing kidlit publishing you guys are so messy is because you're seeing your audience to it all it's happening in public yeah. you know like yeah. I, I promise you that there are families that are just as messy as the Kardashians it's just that the Kardashians have a TV show you know like yeah it, it's just I, I mean there's pros and cons to like the pu- public persona of the author and and it's it's very messy and it's a new thing. It's like a new thing that we've had to deal with and I still don't know actually how to deal with. So this was a super long recording. We're definitely going to separate this into two episodes. So congratulations. You get at least you get two more episodes instead of just one more. Woo! Woo! So exciting. <laughs> um, so that's so stay tuned for next week or not next week it's every two weeks stay tuned for in two weeks um sometime within the next 14 business days you will be getting the final uh, the final final episode episode. isn't that just like writers to write final on a file and then it's actually final final yeah because it's not the last yeah and then we'll do like really final and put the date on it this time i'm not kidding this (laughs) time all caps all caps underscore real last episode (laughs) (laughs) that's how i'm gonna title the episodes like uh write or die in the final episode and then write or die and really final final episode final dot dot that'd be really that'd be really dot doc x (laughs) final final for real for real this time i really mean it Thanks for listening to Write or Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. And Ghost Squad by Clarabel A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.